Danny, appreciate that. And good evening, everybody. And I'm glad you're here. Glad the rain stopped. And uh, a little chair over here. Uh, I know. Uh, thank you, brother, brother Bill, for fixing it. Um, you know, because of use over time, it was just getting loose. All the, all, you know, Bill, can I get a witness for all the bolts on the on the bottom and on the? Because last week, I don't know, I didn't notice it before, but Pastor Danny's been using it, so he probably broke it. Um, but you know, it's only Bill for so many pounds. Um, Hey, that was funny too. But last week, every time I would lean just a little bit this way, the whole chair would go clink. And I thought for sure I was going over there. And But I'm used to falling, so hey, you know, use what you have. And uh, do you like my, my Kermit the Green Frog tonight? Yeah. No, that's not, not many of you like, few of you like it. Too bad. You know, just wake you up. Bling, you know, my eyes hurt. Um, I was getting ready tonight, and we, uh, we had Addie, our five-and-a-half-year-old, autistic little girl and um, she was over at the house and running around and we were doing different stuff and I was getting a shirt on man, my t-shirt I was I was picking a shirt out of the out of the closet and I put the shirt on and I walked into the bathroom and I was buttoning up the rest of the shirt <laughs> nice shirt you know nice button-down shirt you know and and she, she looks at me, and I turn around, she's standing there with this, her head cocked, and she goes, Shay Shay, that's how she says PJ, Shay Shay, I not like that shirt. <laughs> she goes, you wear other shirt. I say, you want me to take this one off? Uh-huh. So marches me back in the, in the closet, and I said, so which shirt should I wear? And she's going through, and she comes to this one. So here you are. So I wore it, you know, and I like it, you know, and, and you'll like it too. Um, you know, I like that kid. I'm telling you what, man, she is, she is my, my heartbeat. I'm, I'm, I don't know what I'd do without her. She cracks me up because I was like, eh, I don't like that shirt. No, <laughs> it's a nice shirt. It's a really nice shirt. Now I'm, now I'm going to be paranoid. Every time I wear that shirt, I have to throw it out. Eddie doesn't like it. Um, so that's my Kermit the Frog story, and I'm sticking with it. All right, so we're going to be in Luke chapter 4 tonight in our Life Messiah series. Thank you all of you watching online. Um, we're glad to have uh, y'all tuning in or listening on, on Rumble or on Sermon Audio or wherever you're finding our audio or video podcast. We're glad if you're watching on Rumble, which is my preferred platform, um, you know, hit the, the like button down below there on the left-hand side. Down below, um, help us get more on more, uh, what is it, Oscar? More platforms, more, get on the board more. You know, they'll, pr- they'll promote it more. Because really, in Rumble, we're, we're probably a mid-sized church even in the views that we get because there's not a lot of them over on Rumble yet. So um, it's, a really, it's a really rich field. At any rate, um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 4 tonight, and we're picking up uh, in the life of the Messiah. We, last week we looked at Jesus. He's up in the area around the Sea of Galilee, and he, uh, last week we saw the healing of the nobleman's son from a distance. The man traveled up from Capernaum to Cana of Galilee. And tonight we're going to see that Jesus leaves Cana of Galilee, which is basically 
due west of the Sea of Galilee, and he's going to go a little bit south from there to visit his hometown. Now, only Luke records this. Now, you may have in your Bible, if you've got one that cross-references, you may have a cross-reference to Matthew 13 and Mark 6, but while that is a, there's some similarities of the repetition of the, what happens, they actually are different uh, things that happen at different times. And that's, again, one of the things that's interesting to me of when you go through the life of the Messiah from this chronological and Jewish perspective, it brings some of these things into play. But at any rate, we're going to pick things up. We're going to read in verse number 16 of Luke chapter 4. The Bible says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. So Jesus goes back to his hometown, and the Bible says where he had been brought up. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, but I want to divert just a little bit, since it's Wednesday night, and you guys are all tired. I try to keep you engaged a little bit. Um, But some of you had identified that where you were born and where you were brought up was, you know, different locations. I know like our daughter, when you're, you know, I'm in the Lord's army, some of you are in the U.S., Uncle Sam's army, uh, it requires, you know, you moving around. So our daughter was born in, in Aurora, Illinois, outside of Chicago. But, you know, I, I don't know. I think she'd say she was brought up in central Florida, probably, you know, in there. Um, and it's interesting on where you were brought up, has an influence on our lives, don't you think? How do you think, how do you think where you were brought up, what kind of influences do you think that has even as you go into adulthood? Anybody? Nobody? Yeah, Nick? Okay. (laughs) Yes, Nick says there's good things and there's bad things and ultimately it's, it's different. I agree. Yeah, Mike? Or did I, some, I saw a hand, or was that Bill? I saw some hand over somewhere. That explains a lot, Bill. <laughs> Bill was brought up on the west side of Montgomery. He's confessing. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. Yeah. Well, Bill's bringing up as a kid learning how to integrate into a racially diverse society. I mean, I know living in, growing up in the North and then living most of my life, I think I've lived longer in the South now, praise God, than I did in the North. Um, yeah, that would, yeah, by far, actually. I don't think of doing the math. Um, but they're they're different, like Nick said. There's some there's some differences there um, for sure. Anybody else? How do you think it does? Yeah, and Cody. Chelsea trusts people and you don't. <laughs> you grew up on the west side of Montgomery too. No. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know where you grew up. You're from my neck of the woods. Um, yeah, that's a scary place. Uh, that's that's. You're exactly right. It does affect how we interact with other people. Yeah, Sarah. Mm. 
I grew up up there and my parents never did that. <laughs> Where did you grow up at? Well, that explains it. Ohio State University. They. <laughs> Oh. See? Cultural decline. Yes. It's a big difference, isn't it? I know when we first moved to even here from Central Florida, which is, you know, a very similar culture, really, to here, um, Polk County, Central Florida. Um, but, uh, yeah, Every, do we, Jen and I would laugh. Even if the guy was a gangbanger that was about to rob you, he'd say, can I have your, pa- can I have your purse, ma'am? You know, <laughs> may I take your purse, ma'am? Uh, you know, you're right. Etiquette's a big difference. Anybody else? Yeah, Will? <laughs> In Puerto Rico, there is no etiquette. <laughs> that is the etiquette. <laughs> Interesting. Huh. Yeah, pay attention next time I'm there. Yeah. Um, and we will be back there now that Jenny's favorite coffee cafe in the Caribbean is now in San Juan. So we'll be back. Um, anybody else? Yeah, Taylor? Accents. Y'all? What accent? <laughs> Oh, yeah, I remember the first girls I met from the South. I'm like, they talk funny, but I sure like them. Um, (laughs) Yes, that you noticed, yes. There's plenty inside the United States itself. You can go to different places and, you know, Washington, the state of Washington versus, you know, Boston or, yeah, Hunter? Oh, you grew up in Memphis, so you had you grew up being aware of your surroundings. I I bet you did. Um, yeah, that, that's that's the, it. It is interesting how that influence and the thought that I had this week as I was, the Bible goes, you know, out of its way or it includes, you know, that the, the went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. The Bible mentions that. And I thought to myself, I wonder if where Jesus grew up did it influence him. And he's a little different than the rest of us, you know, being the God-man, but you know, he grew up in Nazareth. And, I, you know, I don't know. One day you get to heaven, that's one of those things, the humanity of Jesus versus the divinity. Uh, but it, 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 it would appear that it had some relevance, as the Scripture points it out, and then tells us, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. That's interesting. Um, is we're going to see here as we read the rest of this, this paragraph, we're going to get more verses done tonight in one section. I think I was telling Brother Oscar, I don't think we've, I've ever covered this many that we're about to cover. So we're going to go a little quicker tonight. But I think it's important to see the whole story here. But we're going to see 
that Jesus is going to have hometown rejection, that his home area is going to reject him. And Dr. Frutenbaum points out, and he'll show as we go through the life of Messiah, that Nazareth is a microcosm of the nation, that, that what it does we find begins there and then is replicated by the nation as a whole. This is just here in the life of the Messiah, is, although he, Jesus had been personally rejected here or there along the way, here we see the first time where there's like a, a, you know, a national or a citywide rejection of, of him. And it's interesting, we're told why, you know, he went there and why he was where he was on that day. He was in the synagogue um, on the Sabbath day. Now, remember, we took a couple weeks ago about the synagogues being a gathering place and that the main thing they did there were, was to publicly read the Torah. That's the main part of, the, of, a, of a service there at, at the synagogue. Now, he was there on the Sabbath day. Now, there are some, and doesn't it make good sense that if Jesus went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and the Sabbath day is when? What day of the week? Saturday, all right? Actually, I, would, I guess it would be sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, but Saturday, all right? Um, doesn't that make more sense then if we're going to follow a biblical example of the Lord that we should go to, the, we should go to church on, on Saturday, right? Nobody wants to answer this one. Okay, they're all, if you're watching online, they're gung-ho on the, where they grew up. No one wants to touch this one. Should we go to church on Saturday? Robert says yes. Oh, you're, you're, well, you're stepping in it good, Robert, but that's good. I appreciate it. <laughs> Robert says, well, it's in the Ten Commandments. Um, yes, Sarah. I don't know. But you're correct in that the new believers after the resurrection started meeting on Sunday, um, the, the day, you know, that he resurrected. That's good. Anybody else want to venture into this quagmire of a trick question that I'm asking? No, no, hands went down. Yeah, Dorothy? Yeah? Seventh day rested. Yeah, well, all right. Some, some, some would do that. If, if does anybody know a denomination that teaches? Have you ever run anybody? <laughs> you guys all know. Now that they know. Apparently, the Seventh Day Adventists have been at your door. You know, they've really tried to mainstream themselves, um, but be very careful of that. And um, it, you know, the the answer to their question is yes. We can meet on Saturday. We can meet on Friday. We can meet on Thursday. We can meet on Wednesday. We can meet on Tuesday. The New Testament is very clear after the resurrection and after Pentecost, the believers met every single day of the week. There is no, there is nowhere that Paul said, thou hast to meet and have a church service on this day. Now we can look at some of the early church patterns, but then again, if you take that deeper, they met much more frequently than we do. They got together as much as they really could. And, and so I don't, I, you know, people who want to claim that, I'm like, well, if you're going to take that, then you need to take the whole thing. But if, if you want to say, what, what do you tell the, the folks? The, the, the problem I have with the Seventh-day Adventists and, and you've got to meet on the Sabbath deal is that the Sabbath is part, as Roberts mentioned, is part of the law. 
And it is very clear. And as you're, we go through life of sight, you'll see that when Jesus came, he came to fulfill the law. When he died on that cross, he did. He paid it in full. And as Colossians says, that he nailed the handwritings of the ordinances, the law that was against us, he nailed it to his cross, and we're no longer under it. So I'm not going back under bondage of the law. And when I start talking to those folks, it cracks me up because they want to, you know, they're into the, the Ten Commandments, but I'm going, well... Um, there's 613, you know, 603 other ones. If you're going to take those, they say, no, we just have to follow these. That based on what scripture? N- nowhere the, does the Bible delineate a distinction in the law. If you read the Old Testament and the New Testament from a Jewish perspective, when they refer to the law, they refer to the law. They know such thing. And so if you're going to take that thing, well, then go the whole way. Um, but obviously, I, I believe that that's why Paul wrote Galatians and most of the New Testament, I, honestly, is, is, deals with this issue of us being free from that because Christ, as Hebrews tells us, was superior and his sacrifice was sufficient. And we don't need to be under any of that bondage anymore, that we're now free in Christ. And, um, and so, but this is one of the ones I, I really, Dr. Fruitenbaum doesn't mess with that, but I, I wanted to because it is, you know, if, if you've been in Christianity length, length of time, you'll run into somebody who's dogmatic about how the church is meeting on the wrong day and they should be meeting on Saturday. And it's a good one to have a good answer for. And they, by the way, they don't have a good response for what I just shared with you. You know, is Jesus enough? Why did he die? What, what was the purpose of the law? Um, it, it, I am so thankful that I am under grace and not under law. And if you know anything about the two, you ought to be as well. But bottom line was in the synagogues, the main thing they did in a synagogue service was to publicly read the, the, Taurus, the, the Torah, the Taurus, huh, get in the car. Um, or that's a, isn't a Taurus a constellation too? You know, okay. So bring the astrologers and the automotive industry together. Uh, but by Jesus' day, there were a lot of synagogues. Matter of fact, Dr. Frutenbaum points out, and I did not know this, uh, little known fact, and this is just thrown in there because you're Wednesday night crowd and you might like these little details. You know, there were synagogues that popped up all over, even in Jesus' day. And Dr. Frutenbaum records, uh, references several rabbis that mentioned that, that around Jerusalem, there was almost 500 of them themselves in and around the Jerusalem area. 500. I wrote in my notes, we think we have a lot of churches here in Prattville. You know, well, that's, I mean, it was a big town, you know, in that day. It was a lot of people there. But still, 500? I mean, there was a lot of them. So you can imagine across all of uh, Israel of, of that day in Judea and up around Galilee, there would have been a lot of them. Um, but I also found it interesting that Jesus saw the need to be in the synagogue every week as a matter of habit, as his custom was. Now, that was Jewish under law, he was really required to some degree, although some of that would be rabbinic law, even more than Old Testament law. But his, his pattern was on the Sabbath day, and of course, he's still living under law. You know, he's there fulfilling it. He, he's there. And I thought to myself, I think it wouldn't be necessary for him. Right? And yet he's there. And he said, what do you mean by that? I know some people think that, you know, they don't need to go to church. Now, that's a, that's a, that's a false equivalency, as Danny, Pastor Danny would probably say, because um, it is a synagogue versus the church. But I do find it interesting that, that as we're going to find out, he's going to go there and he continues to keep this pattern throughout his ministry. But sometimes when he would go there, people weren't really nice to him. And he kept going. A little bit of a lesson in there for all of us. Now we get a look into the life of the synagogue in Jesus' day in these next verses. And because I want to give you the effect of the whole story of what's going on here, I'm going to read 
um, the entire rest of this paragraph, paragraph 40 uh, of Dr. Frutenbaum's outline. And then I'm going to just give you a, a couple things to think about and, and we'll be done for tonight. All right, so we're back in Luke chapter 4, I'm going to reread verse 16 and then read to the end of the paragraph. All right, um, verse 16, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because it hath appointed for he, because he hath appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are, are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear witness, of all bear him witness and wondered at the, pres- at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And, they said him, and he said unto them, you will surely say unto me this proverb, physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias or Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months when the great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elijah sent save unto Zarephath, the widow of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel during the time of Elisha the prophet and none of them was cleansed save Naaman the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and led him under the brow of the hill, whereon the city was built, that they might cast him um, down headlong. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. So we find out what happens to Jesus when he attends synagogue that day. And I guess he have been one of those, boy, you, you wouldn't believe what happened in church today kind of stories. But, you know, he, he experiences profound rejection. Now, we're not talking about just rudeness here or a little bit of unfriendliness. Ever been to a church and been a little unfriendly? Um, I think all is probably if you're in your travels. And, of course, that's very really important to me. So y'all, especially this crowd, when folks come in on Sunday morning, you don't know who they are. You know, just go up and introduce yourself. Now, sometimes you're going to have the experience where, you know, like Oscar, wouldn't you, Oscar, that introduced yourself to somebody who'd been coming here longer than you had, um, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, but that'll happen every now and then. And sometimes you're like, well, I should be here more. <laughs> and I know who you are. Uh, you know, so I'm on Team Oscar on that one. Um, but, you know, it, it happens to all of us. But this case, you know, they didn't, they didn't just ruin her. I'm trying, they're trying, they, they literally try to kill him. I've never had that experience. I don't think. Now, sometimes they've tried to kill me with boredom or killed me with bad theology. That I've had experience. But they literally physically try to kill him. Now, we're told that Jesus comes into the synagogue early on, and I read in the end of verse number 16, and the Bible says that he stood up to read. Now, remember, the main thing they did was to read the Torah, right? We, we've studied that. That's the main thing they did. And the Torah, if you don't know, is the first five books of the Old Testament. But in verse 17, it tells us that Jesus asked for the book of Isaiah, and reads out of it. Now, is Isaiah part of the Torah? No. So you see a little bit of a problem here? There's a little bit of one. Now some go, oh, is that an, is that an error by Luke or by the scriptures, you know? And, um, you know, uh, what we do know from rabbinic writings of the first century is that during a synagogue service, several people read from the Torah. And when they read from the Torah, they got to choose where they wanted to read, but the rule was you had to read at least three verses. You know, you know, which I thought, I didn't know if they had it broken down. Maybe it was three paragraphs, a section of three. 
Now, there's a big rabbinic ar- argument about this. Some rabbinic writers said the reason they had to read three verses because there was one verse for each of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay? Other rabbis said, no, 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 no. This is about the Torah. And those, the patriarchs were preceded the Mosaic law. So they said it, the three was based on Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Now, that's an interesting argument. Maybe it's, maybe it's very boring. Now, the end of it all, does it really matter? Is it really commanded anywhere in the Old Testament scriptures that you have a synagogue meeting and have to read through verses of the Torah? No, this is all out of Mishnaic and rabbinic law. And yet, here they are arguing about it. And I thought to myself, you know, sometimes we are pretty guilty. We'll start arguing about things that, I don't know, does this, you know, Sometimes I've seen people get really offended about things where pe- good, good people can disagree on interpretations out, out near the edges, and I'm going, yeah, why are we having such conflict over this? But it's, it was interesting how much Dr. Frutenbaum went on for pages on this, this rabbi said this, and this rabbi said this, and this is why it's this one, and I'm going, huh? They must have been Baptists back then. That's all I figure. I like to argue. That's, that's all I figure. But, uh, but it's interesting in, in Jesus' day, and I guess even on into more contemporary times, when they'd go to Torah or go to the synagogue to read the Torah, they'd have several people read, but the last person that was assigned to read is known as the maftir. And that's a Hebrew word that literally means the concluder. So whoever was last got this special title, and whoever was last had a little bit different um, responsibility. They were supposed to read a much shorter section of the law and then they were to read one portion of the prophets. Aha. Now you guys are smart in here tonight and know Isaiah was a prophet. So this tells us, if you bring look at this at a Jewish perspective, that Jesus was given or took this last role of the last reader. And what's recorded is that Jesus requests to read out of the, the, the book of Isaiah. Now, if you know the Jewish perspective on the Old Testament, they grouped it in three groups, the law, the prophets, and the writings. And the same books that we have now, there's no, no different, they're just grouped differently, but the writings were not required to be read. Now, you could bring it in on, on the back part if you wanted to discuss it, <laughs> it, it, it because when the last reader, the, ma, the maftir, once he read out of the prophets, he was supposed to re- read tw- at least 21 verses if you did that. But then he was supposed to generally expound upon the meaning of that text, that is why, also, we are told that Jesus stood up to read because they were required when they read the, the Torah or any of the scriptures, they were required to stand, which I know some churches that require that, and I don't really think it's a bad idea, honestly, uh, out of respect for God's word. But then whenever a rabbi taught, we find that Jesus sat down. And we're going to find that, by the way, when we go through Life of Messiah, you're going to see this over and over, that, <laughs> that Jesus sat to teach. So what I'm doing tonight is very Jesusly. It's very, it's very much. Is that a new word, Robert? I think I made that up right along the way. Um, you know, oh, he's sitting down. You know, um, why, pastors aren't supposed to do that. Well, if you want to go Jewish perspective, this is very much Jewish perspective. Um, by the way, in verse number 29, this is why. It says, uh, I mean, I got the wrong verse. Uh, da, 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 stood up to read. The, the, the rabbis, or at least when he sat down, they sat there. The Bible says they all looked on him 
to hear what he had to say. Verse 20, and all the eyes of them were, that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And that gives you the idea that once he got done reading, the responsibility that the last reader was to then expound on some of the Torah and some of the prophets that he had read. And if they wanted to bring in some of the writings, at that point they probably could. So Jesus sat down and then when you read there, you see the context that they're all waiting for him to say something. Now, you would not really understand that if you didn't understand the Jewish process of uh, a synagogue service, um, you know, without reading it. So I hope that's interesting to you. Now, um, it's interesting here that when he starts talking and he has all their attention, he really gets their attention because he reads out of Isaiah. And it's not only what he does read, but it's also what he doesn't read. Remember, in that day, he was supposed to read at least 21 verses out of the prophets. When you read what we're told here, what Jesus read, he read out of Isaiah 61 verses 1 in the first part of verse 2 and a little bit of, he took a little bit of information out of Isaiah 58 verse number 6. This is not 21 verses. So I think one of the reasons when he sat down, everybody's looking at him like, we don't do that. Does he not know? He broke the rules. It's kind of like some churches I know and I get a kick out of it, Jenny and I, you know, can I, get, can, I, can I be a little controversial? Well, it's not really all that controversial, but I, I have been, unfortunately, a part and sometimes been known churches that it's like if, if a woman walks in the back and she's wearing a pair of slacks, there's a hush on the whole building. <laughs> visitor, visitor. <laughs> um, we had somebody tell Jenny and I recently, and I won't give you the whole detailed story because I don't want to get away, but they, there, was, there was something about them and the, the, they visited a church and the people were somewhat nice to them, but at the end of the service said, you know, we'd love for you to come back, but if you do, please cover that up. <laughs> we're like, um, <laughs> I'm like, well, I think you need to find another church. That's what, that, that's what I would tell you to do. But, Jesus is already violating Mishnah tradition. Now, this is really important for you to understand because we go through the life of Messiah over the next couple of years. You're going to see, and, and I'll prove to you, Dr. Frutenbaum will, as you look at the, the, the Gospels from a Jewish perspective, you're going to find that Jesus always, always, always obeyed Scripture. He was the fulfillment of Scripture. Always did. But many times, he goes out of his way to violate Mishnaic and rabbinic teaching. This is why they hated him so much. He said, I'll do it. I'm, gonna, I'm here in the scripture, but all man's rules, I'm not only not going to obey them, I'm going out of my way not to obey them. Some might even say, Jesus might be here being a little offensive. You know, sometimes Christians are so willy-nilly, our, get our little feelings hurt so easily. Yeah, and, and, and it's always, you know, and there's certainly Jesus talks about woe to him that offends, although you need to look in, in, the, in the context of what he's talking about there. But, you know, I'm not going to lie. Jenny would tell you I'm, I'm pretty bad about this. I, it's something I got to work on. But sometimes when I go to certain places and I understand people that are really into man's law, I kind of like it when, um, I like it when we can have shock value for those people that are just into man's law. 
And I can tell you, and again, I don't mean to be unkind, and I'm very thankful that I was brought up in an independent Baptist church environment. I really am. I learned a lot of understanding the scriptures, but much of what I was taught was man's law, not God's. And they take scripture and make it apply when the scripture doesn't really, it talks principally about how we ought to live our life completely, which is the genius of scripture. But they get some guy like me up here that knows this better than the rest of you and can tell you how you should be and where you should go and what, you know. Um, so interesting. Anyway, they, they, he was probably, they were probably looking at him like, ooh, what's he going to say now? And then he reads these verses, which even in Jesus' day and even to this very day are very much considered messianic because they declare that the Messiah would be a prophet, a healer, and a liberator. And then Jesus goes on to make this profound statement, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. Woo! I don't know what happened there, but it must have been, it was on at that point. Now, in verse 22, another thing that I'd never really considered, because I've heard a lot of sermons about Jesus short, you know, his one statement here, this, this day is, is scripture, is this scripture fulfilled in your ears? Understand that's what God's, in his sovereignty, chose to put into the word of God and to give to us. But verse 22 says, And I'll bear him witness, and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. It, it would appear, as you read through this, that Jesus then went on to expound what he had read. And many, I would be one that would theorize a little bit, that um, he showed them how he was the fulfillment of, of these verses. Uh, I love how the scripture says they wondered at his gracious words. And herein is a lot of practical wisdom. A few minutes earlier, he was provoking them a little. He was violating Mishnaic law. He was giving them a little salt, giving them a little truth. But then he comes around and he gives them grace. You, know, you always, always, always season your salt with grace. And sometimes some believers can be very ungrate, awful of truth, not a lot of grace. Jesus was, as John wrote, full of grace and truth. Now, obviously, Jesus was the fulfillment and was teaching that. He was the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy and description of the Messiah. But it is significant what Jesus did not read. Um, if, if you go back, and I, I'll go there for you quickly, but if you go look at Isaiah 61, and you read verse 1 and the first part of verse 2, which is what Jesus read, and then he stops. And this is the next two verses that he does not go on and read. And the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness and the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Now, what's interesting is the verses right after that refer to Jesus' second coming, the day of the Lord experiences in, in, in following, and those were not fulfilled that day. So Jesus is very clearly declaring publicly that he was the Messiah and he's offering his Messiahship in their ears. That generation was actually seeing Messiah in the flesh and all the things that they said that the Old Testament said he needed to do, he was already doing. Now you can tell by their reaction that they, they don't, they're not buying because their first question is, and they said in verse 22, is this not Joseph's son? Now was it Joseph's son? 
<laughs> Nobody wants to answer that question either. You know, um, some would say, well, legally he was because Joseph adopted him, and that made me sense. But we know that ultimately he was not Joseph's son. Um, but that's the question they're asking. And then um, Jesus, the reason I also believe that Jesus went on and expounded more than what's recorded in verse 21, because Jesus goes on in verse 23 and says, you will surely say unto me this proverb, physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever you've heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. They basically, after he's talked and said, I'm the Messiah, now they want a sign. They said, oh yeah, we've heard you've done these miracles. We'll do one here. This is exactly what the Pharisees will eventually do on the day of the unpardonable sin. Same exact thing. They had all the information, but now they demand a sign, a healing for them to see. And this is the people we can deduce that watch Jesus grow up. Now, we don't know. The Bible doesn't say a lot about Jesus' childhood, and some of the modern-day interpretations of that are exactly that, just man's interpretation, right? The Scripture doesn't tell us a lot about specific details of his childhood. But I think we can all agree, not being Gnostic in our theology, that Jesus was God from the moment of his conception on, right? And so Joseph and Mary were raising the Son of God and he was perfect without sin and he was perfect without sin when he was one-year-old and two-year-old and five-year-old and eight-year-old and all these kind of things. And can you imagine being in a village where Joseph and Mary have the one perfect kid? I'd hate to have grown up in that village every day I'm coming home from synagogue my parents would have said, why can't you be more like Jesus? You know. <laughs> Uh, what is Joseph and Mary? What parenting classes are they going to? Um, we know they weren't perfect parents. We know they messed up. They lost him, you know. Left, hey, we thought somebody else had him, a suicide, you know. He's back in Jerusalem, still in the temple. But these people had the opportunity, and I just cannot imagine Jesus growing up in that community. And while I believe that he did not fully unveil his deity and that till his baptism until the beginning of his ministry. I think there's this distinction there. But at the same time, I personally believe he was God from the moment of his conception from eternity past. And these people had the opportunity to watch a very unique human being grow into young adulthood. And yet, they don't believe. Now Jesus responds with their unbelief by telling them two stories and I, I'm out of time, but it, he tells them about the Elijah and Elisha and their ministries and Elijah going to the widow of Zarephath and the cruise of oil that didn't, you know, and Naaman the Syrian. And what did those two people have in common? Gentiles. That in the day of Elijah and Elisha, there are a lot of Jewish people that had leprosy and needed, needed sustenance and that they didn't get it because God sent it to the people that were willing to have faith and that was a couple Gentiles. Now do you see why they're kind of angry? Jesus says, not only you not believe, but the Gentiles, they believed. And this is why after your rejection, we know that on a large scale, as we see in the book of Acts, as a nation, nationally, the Jewish people rejected him, but by and large, the Gentile nations received him. And so when he says this, now you can understand why they're so mad. Um... We had mentioned tonight we were talking about our childhood and one of our, one of our guys was talking about growing up here in the South and racial division and folks that have real racial hatred can be a really deep thing. And please understand that Orthodox Jewish people, there's potential for them to really despise Gentiles. 
And for Jesus to say the Gentiles, they're the ones that are going to be blessed. Y'all are going to be left out. That did not play well. And so they're so filled with hate. The Bible says they push him to the top of a hill. If you know anything about Nazareth, it was an outpost for the Romans and they had built a little fort on top of a mini mountain hill and they were going to throw him off. Some people said it, the, the, the drop wasn't high enough necessarily just to kill him, but they would have thrown him off and then stoned him to death. That's probably what would have happened. And I thought to myself, you know, with, with today's technology, I went, let's go see, what, is a, what does Nazareth look like today? Can you go there? He's still there, you know. And sure enough, you can go there today. You can go to Nazareth, you can go to the very place they believe that the hill, the top of the hill where Nazareth was, where you know, they, they believe this event unfolded. But you know if you go there today, because I was like, <laughs> if you go there today, you'll find there's a big plaque and a little monument there to this location, and, and it's called by many the Mount of the Leap. Did you know that? Some of you have been there. Has anybody been to Nazareth? I, don't, I know we had a couple people that have gone to Israel. The Mount of the Leap. And I thought to myself, now that's weird. Why is it called the Mount of the Leap? Well, because somewhere along the way, the Catholic Church thought it would be a brilliant idea that they told the story a little bit differently, and they said that when they, they pushed Jesus to the edge of the mountain, you know, on Nazareth there, that Jesus looked across the valley. It's kind of a corner of the Jezreel Valley. It's a little sliver into the Jezreel Valley, and you have Nazareth on a little mountain over here. And the next mountain over here is Mount Tabor. And they teach that Jesus, when they got to the top of the mountain, he did a, like a Captain America leap, and he leapt from the top of Nazareth all the way over to Mount Tabor, which is about three to four miles away. So now it's called the Mount of the Leap. Now, is that what happened? No. How can we know? <laughs> the, the, the Bible's pretty clear. They, they took him in the top there to cast him off. And verse 30 says, but he passing through the midst of them went his way. So the Bible tells us how the thing went down, and yet man always has his way of saying, well, I've got a better story. And just like these people here in Luke chapter 4, they, they rejected what Jesus was telling them. And so today we still live with a whole bunch of people that instead of receiving the record that we've been given, instead we believe in the Mount of the Leap. And I, I don't know about you, but I'll take the word of God all day long um, over the Catholic Church. But, oh well, that's here nor there. Interesting stuff tonight, huh? So I did it. I went five minutes over, but praise the Lord, covered more verses than I think I may have ever done. Right, Oscar, in your time, I probably won't have ever done uh, that. So we'll pick things up there, Lord willing, next week. Thank you for your attentiveness. Uh, I don't, do we have anything going on this Friday? Is it Diamond D- Dinner weekend or anything? I can't remember. Robert, you know what's going on? We're all descendants of Adam, too. Um, yeah, that's, that, honestly, I preach it all the time. If people who say they're Christians and have racist tendencies are not following the scriptures because we all came from Adam and um, we're all sinners. But uh, anything, I don't, I, all my people, all my announcing people are all, Rebecca and I don't know. So if there's anything going on, I don't know. So if it is, you've, you haven't been told here because I don't know. I do know 
my responsibility out. Lord willing, we'll meet here again Sunday morning at 10 o'clock and look forward to seeing you then. All right, let me pray. We'll be dismissed. Thank you for being here. Lord, thank you for the teaching of your word tonight and just letting us in on the day daily events in your life. And uh, I can't imagine the, even as your humanity, the feelings of rejection by people that you grew up with, people that you really at one time really uh, loved and appreciated. I'm sure you still did, being you, but uh, just how much hurtful that would be. God, help us to be people that love and yet stand for what is right. Help us to be faithful to Scripture. God, I thank you for each person that's here and those are watching online. Be with the different issues that are currently going on in their life. Give them wisdom, discernment, and courage. Bring us back together. If not here, uh, Lord, we'd certainly, <laughs> I'd certainly love to meet you in the air any, any moment now, but help us to be ready and live like it. In Jesus' name, amen. See you later.